Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are officially at the All-Star break, recording this during the first round of the MLB Draft. The Rays are picking 29th overall, and by the time you're listening to this, you'll know who they will have selected. We will uh, find out and react live on this podcast, I'm assuming, and in reacting with me is uh, D-Ray's base senior writer, Darby Robinson. Darby, what's going on? Oh, not much, man. This is uh, feels like a very long first half of the baseball season. This was this was a grind. I feel like I need the break just as much as the team does. I, I think we're all still kind of uh, coming back to like what it feels like to go through a 162-game season. Like my memory just keeps going back to 2020 when it really was a sprint. And then like last year, going back to a full 162 and all the ups and downs, uh, which there have been plenty for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm a lot more ups than downs. That's why they're, you know, sitting in the first wild card spot. They have the third best record in the American League behind the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. So, I mean, that that's a position that any team in the American League that that's not named the Yankees or Astros would love to be in. And, and, and the Rays are in that and they've had a great week. They swept the Boston Red Sox over a four-game series at home and then took two of three from the world's hottest baseball team, the Baltimore Orioles. I don't know, Darby, which, which is more impressive, the sweep of the Red Sox or, or, t- or taking <laughs> two of three from Baltimore? I would say if it was a regular sweep, uh, I would actually say the two out of three from Baltimore with how hot they've been. But the fact that it was a four-game, the fact that it was a mop, as the uh, Suspettus uh, family barbecue boys like to call it, um, the fact that they mopped the Red Sox, that that's that's very hard to do. It's hard to sweep anybody, but getting four in a row, that's very tough. So I'll, I'll go with that, but that's that's only close. I'm going to credit the four-game sweep with the fact that that game four, Thursday's game, was not an afternoon game. It wasn't like a sleepy getaway game. It was 7 o'clock first pitch, just normal routine, finish the job. Boston, uh, they, they were in a lot of trouble to begin the season, looked great for a couple months, and now – starting to slip back down the ALE standings once again. And, and they just lost uh, Chris Sale uh, with a broken pinky. Yeah. Shockingly not from him punching or destroying any property, but no. from actual gameplay, which is which is rare, it feels like. We, we could talk about the Rays injury luck, bad luck, uh, but Chris Sale, poor guy, just like just gets back, was apparently looking good, had good fastball velo, looking like vintage Chris Sale. And then it wasn't even like a, his arm is broken. It was he got a liner off the hand. So I, yeah. I, I feel bad for him there. Yeah, that's 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 some bad. That's some kind of dumb bad luck, you know, which the which the Rays fans can can know all about. We're, we're in a heap of it right now with every every player. All right. Well, talking about balls to to the hands, uh, Harold Ramirez fractured thumb uh, you get brandon lau back he has a great couple of games racks up like six hits over two days uh and the lineup suddenly looks just like a lot better the same way when they added wander franco back and you see that lineup posting or the top can tweet every day and you're like oh the lineup looks a lot better with just one more hitter added into it the same like the same thing happened when brandon lau was activated on saturday but then harold or I like to call him his new nickname, Barreled Ramirez, gets the fractured thumb and heads to the IL. So he'll be out for probably two months if you consider, like take into account rehab and getting him back into the lineup. 
Um, so you're getting close, dangerously close to the end of the regular season um, for a Harold Ramirez timetable. Um, just a brutal injury. It's it's one of those injuries where the Rays will miss Harold's bat in the lineup for sure. He's He was right there and uh, kind of making his own way to potentially try to get the batting crown in the AL. Um, but it's going to, it's, it, it sucks worse, not from a baseball perspective, just from, from Harold Ramirez perspective, this guy has been, uh, who's had some good moments in his major league career, but hasn't had that sustained success for a long period. And this year with the Rays, he just feels like he was, you know, some guys just really fit on the Rays. Well, they have the personality, they have the, the, the like emotion and the style and like Harold Ramirez just had that, like, he just seemed to be immediately in the clubhouse, you know, seemed to be like right there, good friends with like Wander and Randy and like part of the, like the gang. And just, I don't know. It just, he, he's just a ball of energy and life and just always fun. He like him and Brett Phillips, just like, I feel like feed off of each other is just like constant charisma and personality. Uh, and he was having an amazing year. So it's really a bummer to have him, you know, miss out on, on a month, maybe month and a half to two months, uh, with this injury. So, and such a, it's such a fluke injury, right? You know, pitch comes in, just hits him off, you know, hits his offhand on the bat and, and breaks a finger, which could happen on almost any play in, in every at bat, basically that could happen. So, uh, really fluke injury. And I just feel bad for, for Harold Ramirez. He was having an awesome year and, and hopefully he'll come back in time for the postseason to uh, have some more heroics. Yeah, I mean, you look at, you know, the, the big call from Rays fans all offseason was they need to add right-handed bats. And when the Harold Ramirez move happened, like, it was right as camp opened, I believe, for the Rays. That was the, mm-hmm. the timing of it. I was I, I was excited for Harold Ramirez, but I think some of the names that we had thrown around, whether it be through the trade market or through free agency, Ramirez didn't quite live up to that, like, big name that, you know, they were, the Rays were in for some other big names as they have been the last, you know, few years, even though they haven't landed any of the big fish besides, well, Nelson Cruz last year and go back a few years before that, Charlie Morton. Um, but in terms of like the right hand bats, they got Cruz. That didn't really work out. They didn't bring him back. They got and get Harold Ramirez. You you look at his numbers this season, a 329 batting average, 376 OBP, a 141 WRC plus. It was just having a great season. And the other right-handed bat they added came up a little bit later, was in that Austin Meadows trade, and that's Isak Paredes, obviously. 136 WRC+, plus, still leads the team in home runs, although Randy Rosarena is trying to make a comeback. He had a couple this weekend. But adding Paredes and Ramirez, combine that with their career year from Yandy Diaz so far, uh, like that, the right-handed bat problem seems to be all but fixed for the Rays, and now they could be on the hunt for some left-handed bats. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like the Rays have this year, this season with their injury luck have been one step forward, two steps back, like every single time, you know, Wanda Franco comes back and then you hear the tweets of like, Oh, Brandon Lau starting his rehab assignment in Durham. And you're like, Oh yeah, here we go. We just got like one week right before the all-star break. We're going to have Wander and, and Lau back and is on Wander gets, you know, broken, broken hamate off the hand on a foul ball, not even a ball that hits him, just a foul ball. Uh, and then he goes down. So Brandon Lau comes back. You're like, okay, we got, we got Lau back. 
lineup's still looking pretty good. Day one of Lau comes back. Yandy gets hurt, misses today, but he, according to Topkin, he seemed fine. He was ready to pinch it, but veteran day off. Rest. Yeah, same with Choi today. They were both just, you know, get an extra day for break. And then, but then Harold Ramirez uh, breaks his finger. Uh, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, we have not had like a week to just have something good happen. Like, okay, we got Wander back. Let's have like a week of just having somebody healthy and alive because you had Wander get injured. You had Boz get injured. You have Lau come back. You have Harold Ramirez get injured. It's just like, what are you, what's going on here? This is, it, it's, it's absurdly bad luck. I mean, I think there was some like talking about like what's going on with the training staff and all that, but some of these injuries are just like absolutely flukish injuries. And oh, some of the injuries we, we we're seeing maybe are some like, you know, phantom IL stints, but you you're seeing just all sorts of just, I feel like the worst luck combined together. And it's just really bad timing because it's just seemingly one after the other after somebody comes back. Yeah, I mean, Manuel Margot gets hurt making a play in the outfield. Kevin Kiermeyer is, I don't know, I mean, we, we say he's perennially hurt, and that is kind of true. And then the hip was just really giving him a hard time this year. It sounds like he's going to need surgery. Um, but before that, because I want to talk about the Kiermeyer situation as we go through all the different injuries uh, that the Rays are dealing with. Shane Boz uh, goes down with a sprained elbow at least two months is what Mark Topkin reported. But then, you know, in his, his raise rumblings, you know, the, the list of notes that he has that he, you know, hides at the end of an article um, that tend to have uh, the best nuggets of information in them says that the rays are prepared for Boz to miss quote unquote, several months or more unquote. And to me, that sounds like surgery. Yeah. I mean, this is not too dissimilar to, glass now last year where it was sort of like trying to see if he can work his way back see if it 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 improves a bit um but with the with the idea that like surgery is is a probable yeah not a not a possible um so it's not like a guarantee but i think you have to kind of if you're a planning you're basically saying like okay that's going to be surgery we're gonna we're gonna deal with that later and if we if we're wrong great but for right now we're not going to wait like two months and be like, Oh, maybe he'll be back. It's, it's, it's planning. Like Boz is not going to be here for a while. So. Well, and it's also if like with glass now, so, if, okay. So if Boz were to have surgery tomorrow, he's most certainly almost certainly not pitching in 2023 or at least not as a starter. You know, I know maybe there's this glass now timeline in which he contributes in some way, but Boz would not pitch for the rest of this year. He wouldn't pitch for, most and probably all of next season. And that's the same timeline if he gets the surgery in October or September or whenever they reevaluate this, he's not going to pitch in 2023 and he'd probably be ready for spring training 2024. So why not wait, you know, see how the, his arm heals. And even though it feels like we're headed towards surgery, it doesn't really change anything, whether he has it today or two and a half months from now. Uh, I think that was kind of the plan with Glass now too. They waited a month and decided he still needed to get Tommy John, uh, and and that's what happened. So uh, that's worrying. Um, Boz is a guy that he's got great electric stuff. 
Um, I think in the, the his delivery, obviously he's a righty, uh, but he kind of reminded a lot of race fans of Matt Moore. And we know how that went. Matt Moore still pitching in the big leagues. I give him credit, um, but not the same player that rivaled Mike Trout and Bryce Harper to be the top prospect in the game. And Shane Boss has kind of been that type of top prospect too. I mean, he's as high as like number four on top, on some uh, top 100 lists. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's tough with, with pitchers, you know, this is a fragile and delicate game and the human body is not meant to pitch overhand. And it's just one of those things where no matter, no matter the delivery type, no matter the velocity, the, the faster and better an arm is, the more you kind of look to and worry about potential injuries. Um, but we still, even as much as science has progressed with the, with these surgeries to be able to get people back uh, and back as strong as ever, or even sometimes stronger, it, it's not an exact science. We don't know how these injuries necessarily happen. And there's really, if you could figure out a way to prevent them, then that's going to be like the biggest market inefficiency ever. Uh, but until that point, you just kind of have to roll with the punches and, and hope that, uh, you know, surgery is successful, which thankfully nowadays it, it's much better and he can make a full recovery because he's only 23. He has a long, a long potential career in front of him. So the most important thing at this point is just, he does what is important for his body and, and hopefully, hopefully things go on the better side of things. But it, if it is the, the kind of the worst case scenario, then you just hope that, you know, he's able to keep that mental focus. And I think that's one thing the Rays are really good at as an organization is they've had a lot of players come here to rehab and they've had a lot of pitchers and players rehab through their ranks. So I think they do know how to handle uh, the mental strain of basically not being able to do the thing that you are the best at and yeah. something that you have been great at your entire life. This is the thing that kind of is a part of you as a, as a person. Like this is a personality. This is, a, this is who you are. And to not be able to do that, I think there's a big mental strain to that. And I think that's the important part of there's a physical toll that you have to come back to. But there's also just a mental toll of keeping that focus and basically improving every day because it's a, it's a very long and, and just grueling mental exercise of having to come back from these injuries. You read all the stories from every athlete that has to do that. It's, it's really tough. And so that's the, that's the, the really the hard work that's ahead of, of Boz beyond just the injury part. You touched on it a little bit. I mean, some, not, not even rumors, just discussion about um, the Rays training staff and the, the number of injuries that are racking up. And while I don't, there, there, we've talked about this on this podcast, like there are some people that think that there's even something um, nefarious at play with how the Rays operate. And I, I won't even like acknowledge that nonsense anymore. Um, I do wonder if like, organizationally if there's a way like their overall philosophy on how they they work with pitchers and i think that's already happening with like the innings decrease like the rays have kind of been at the forefront at limiting starters innings how they use pitchers like you look at jalen beaks this year and it's like he was on like a starter schedule but throwing one inning at a time maybe two um so i i, I just wonder if maybe some some introspection is due for the rays and 
because it's, it's not going right. I don't, not, not to say it's necessarily their fault, but what can be done to get ahead of this, to manage pitchers, because it's a lot. And like you said, some of these are freak injuries, but there's a lot of elbow injuries. You look at guys that are working their way back, like uh, the Yanni Chirinos or, uh, you know, a Brendan McKay or a Tyler Glass now, um, guys that were, were really good pitchers in the major leagues or really good prospects at least that have kind of had their career timelines altered a bit. So I don't know. Could you think there could just be maybe some 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 overall organizational discussion about this in the winter? Oh, I think, I think those kind of discussions, I, I think that is sort of when you're an analytic driven team, a, a team that is at the forefront of a lot of the kind of the big changes in the game and trying to see where you're going before you get there and try to get there before other teams do. I think health and, and injury prevention, those are huge, huge parts of it. And in all honesty, I think the Rays have probably already had these discussions. I think they are things that are, it's difficult to, when it comes to like injury type of things, those are difficult to um, quantify, which makes it very difficult to put into systems. However, I don't think that's something that they aren't trying to do and or haven't been trying to do. You talked about like the in 2020 with the pandemic, the way they use pitchers, to 2021 coming out of that and what they were looking to do with their pitchers. There is so much of this is basically built around the idea that we knew that 2020 was going to have a weird start. And then 2021 ramping up in, in, in innings was going to potentially put some big strain on arms coming into this year as well. I think the Rays have looked at like those multi-inning guys like Colin McHugh as a way to try to help alleviate that strain, tried to stretch things out. So I think they're going to keep trying things like that to, to help that. So to answer your question, I think there's those conversations have already happened. And I think those conversations are going to keep happening because the idea is there is no analytics is not a cruel labor crushing force that is trying to hurt individual players. It is trying to maximize your team and make it the most successful because success is important for everything. If you're a greedy owner that just wants money, guess what? Success gets you more money too. So there you go. There's even a financial incentive. The idea at the end of the day is keeping your team healthy keeps your best players available, which will make you a better team. And so if you can get better at that, then suddenly that will sort of change change everything. Um, Getting there is the hard part. Identifying the problem, knowing how to, knowing what you're trying to do and what you need to do, those are the tough parts. So we'll see. <laughs> in, in what you said too, like the mental aspect of getting through injuries, it was on um, Neil Solon's great podcast this week in Race Baseball. I don't like to plug other Race podcasts on here that often, but I'll plug Neil's because it's like, I don't know, state run media. So it's 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 the Rays podcast anyways uh but i i love it because you get so many different people not only players and coaches uh but so many other people that work within the organization whether it be on the business side or the uh minor league side and in this one specifically i i don't remember her name um but her job in working in the minor leagues amongst like many other responsibilities is like checking in on these injured players and talking with them about you know talking through how they're they're you know, rehabbing and how their body is, is recovering um, and, and kind of going through the mental aspect of things, you know, and 
just imagine not being able to do your job that, like you said, that you're very good at for maybe up, you know, longer than a year's time. That has to be incredibly uh, exhausting and mentally taxing. So I think the Rays are making those efforts. And yeah, right now it's just a bit of bad luck. Um, a couple of IL stints that are probably aren't like super bad luck. Uh, I think they're probably, you could almost quantify them as, as phantom IL stints would be uh, Jeffrey Springs and Jalen Beeks. So Jeffrey Springs, who was um, in the hospital, or his son was in the hospital, newborn child was in the hospital, um, had to leave the team, spent some time with him and, and his family, um, comes back, I think has like one outing, um, and it goes back on the IL with lower leg tightness. I don't know. To me, lower leg tightness is when I like wake up in the middle of the night with a trolley horse. Um, so I don't know if that's what happened to Jeffrey Springs or, you know, everybody's banged up a little bit, feeling a little bit, go to spend his time with, go spend some time with his kid going into the mm-hmm. all-star break. Um, I'm not too worried about that. Sounds like he'll be maybe back this weekend. And the other one would be Jalen Beeks, lower leg tightness. Again, not usually the designation you see for what's now a 15 day IL stint. Um, but it sounds like, again, maybe innings management extended all-star break for, for Mr. Jalen Beeks. Yeah, for for uh, Beeks, that's retroactive for a couple of days. So that means that he's basically going to miss like two series with the All-Star break plus the first little bit. So not too much. I think an extra an extra week on the fishing trip for for Jalen. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's he's done some good work and he's pitched quite a bit and he is coming back from injury. So I think being mindful of limiting innings and giving guys breaks when you can, but also balancing that with the need of having guys like Jalen Beeks and Jeffrey Springs pitch meaningful innings. Uh, it It's tricky, right? If you get blown out more, you get to use less good pitchers more often, but then you lose more. But if you play a lot of close games, you win more, but then you have to use a lot of your good pitchers. So it's a really tough balance. If you can just like win like, you know, four and then just like punt two games entirely and just like get blown out like 15 to nothing, then suddenly that might help reset your, your, your pen. But the Rays have played very close games for pretty much the entire season. And, uh, and that's definitely put some strain on that. So you have to kind of balance it. And sometimes you have to maybe pitch some pitchers that you don't ideally want in certain situations and sometimes you have to give guys some breaks on the IL. Sometimes people are just going to go on the IL because that's definitely needed. So it's it's one of those things where the grind, the marathon, there this is kind of part of it. The the big injuries will happen, and that's why you, you you're moving a forty man space by putting guys onto the sixty day IL, and then you're seeing potentially injuries that, you know, people can maybe play through. Let's say if it was the postseason, but right now it's a good opportunity to give him a break. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we talked a lot about injuries on the pitching side, but the position player side is going through some changes. We'll continue to talk about that and review the first half of the 2022 race season right after this quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Oh my god. This player is basically a combination of uh, Xavier Edwards and Isak Gredes. I don't know if that's the play style, but that's his name. Oh, wow. He actually oh, kind of looks, kind of actually looks like a combination of, of Xavier Edwards and Isak Gredes. A, a, high school, a high school first baseman. Okay. Um, that's not, rare. Yeah. 6'4", 240. Incredibly rare. All uh, right, Brett, uh, break it down. Uh, I know you have a lot of tape on Xavier Isaac out of East Forsyth High School in North Carolina. Um, big, big boy, 6'4", 240. His hat doesn't fit very well from that. So yeah. they didn't, they couldn't afford too many hats, apparently. Um, it is interesting, though. They want another, he's committed to the University of Florida. I, what's interesting, and here's the thing, the thing with the draft that's always wild, the MLB draft, is that this pick, like, I, I have no idea where he is, like, under slot or over slot value price-wise could totally be different. Like it could, it could mean like, Oh, they're going to try to go over slot because they have uh, another pick coming up. I think what number 41. Yeah. Maybe? This is definitely a slot. Like uh, uh, they're trying to get under like slot. an under slot. Yeah. And then there's, then there's two uh, in the sixties, one from the Isak Fredes Austin Meadows trade. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed, but it's a. I honestly I don't, don't have a. I don't have a. I don't have a absolute dog in this fight at all. I mean, because if this kid can't hit, doesn't look like he can do much of. Maybe he's a pitcher. I don't know. <laughs> like, well, it is interesting to go all bat player, but especially because the race have actually done a couple of those first baseman all bat types. Uh, they traded one of the one of the one of the process they got from the Mariners for the Diego Castillo trade besides getting JT Chargois back was a all bat first baseman yeah they've had a couple they've had a couple I mean, Heriberto Hernandez we don't really know what he is Heriberto Hernandez is another guy like a key key trade in the Nate Lowe trade was a all bat no position guy which is interesting maybe maybe that is like a, a little bit of a organizational shift in a way because they have a lot of athletes in their minor league system that are like we'll figure out the position you're just fast and talented so we'll we'll put you you know you can learn every position and it might be you know it is a little interesting to get guys that are big powerful bats that feels like a that feels like the type I remember back in the day when people were like really desperate for Kyle Schwarber and really desperate for uh, Dan, Dan Vogelbach. That's, that's the type of big body first baseman. I mean, he's a high school guy at six, four, two forty. that, that guy hasn't even had probably the money yet. And the, the, he's going to have right. some great, like he won't in the minor leagues. He still won't have the money in the minor leagues, but like eventually if he can get higher and get actually get paid, or if the union can finally get minor leaguers paid, he'll, he'll actually start eating, get on a weight and like straight strength training thing. My gosh. Move over Jason Dominguez. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know what to make of this, but maybe like you, you get him under slot here, spend some of that money in the sandwich rounds. You want to talk about a sandwich round pick. Look at the guy who's the favorite to win the American League Cy Young this year, Shane McClanahan, a few years back was taken in that one of those compensatory rounds. Um, so, yeah, again, I have no other thoughts. I, I didn't ha see, have this guy going in the first round or really anywhere near it. So, 
we'll we'll see as you know maybe it takes away a player from the university of florida that that's that's fine by me um they don't get a big left hand hitting first base and that's going to terrorize uh, florida state for the next three years so um maybe we'll still be on by the time they pick again i know it's coming up pretty quickly but yeah i don't think we have much more thoughts on on xavier isaac it's it's interesting i'm curious i'm just like uh jt okay so we got some i'm just checking the slack here Again, to find out what I feel about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, JT Morgan says he's not a money save. He's set to go in the second and his commitment to UF. Uh, might be a round slot money, but not a big saving pick. He's expected to be an overslot in the second. I mean, okay, so you're still not getting someone that's going to need overslot. Uh, maybe you just didn't have anybody you you loved at there. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Uh, take the big Brian bat. Menendez. Brian Menendez also feels the same way. He says this does not feel like a very razy pick. Um, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, which which is also, and actually that was uh, what Austin uh, uh, Ryman um, mentioned. is like the fact that we don't think this is a razy pick kind of makes it a little bit razy in the sense that you're like, this seems completely opposite, which means that like eventually there's going to be like something about them. I, here's the thing, right? High school numbers we have no access to any of that. So we don't know, but a lot of times scouting has like combined the analytics and the eye test. And you are seeing like potentially in zone chase rates, things like that, that are, that are not like publicly available, but are internally available. Who knows? So besides we can stop recklessly speculating because this is not helpful for anybody, but uh, yeah. Um, He's huge. That's what I know. Yeah, he's That's the next massive. Year, he's going to end up being the next Jordan Alvarez. We're here like, uh, who cares? He's a high school draft pick, first baseman. Who cares? He's going to be like hitting like 40 home runs with a 390 on base percentage. You know what? Maybe, you know, the Rays are also thinking there's D8. Eventually, catcher is not going to, we're going to have robot umps. He can just stand behind there and just try to block it with his big body. There's our, there's our catcher in 2028. My take on the draft is that you, you you prioritize not not necessarily prioritize but you prior if there's a tiebreaker you just take the better defender because even if the bat doesn't you know get to the upside defense usually translates a little better he can play center field second base third base whatever and has to hit just a little bit um if none of those players are there i mean why not just take the the highest upside bat and see if it if it if it plays at the professional level so I'm I'm just talking myself into it at this point. Again, not not not. I won't lose any sleep over this pick. Um, I wouldn't have booed it if I was at the uh, MLB draft in person, which you can now do. It's in it was in LA this year, um, part of the All Star break. So, uh, I kind of want to move over back to the the major league Rays. Uh, Kevin Kiermeyer on the IL with hip inflammation. Big news because there's been obviously constant trade rumors for like, I don't know, it feels like half a decade now regarding Kevin Kiermeyer. He stuck around almost to the end of his contract. Technically, he's got an option for next season, uh, but that does have a two and a half million dollar buyout if the Rays want to just cut him loose. I'm kind of thinking he gets extended and sticks around. I mean, he's injured. He's on the wrong side of 30. The defense has taking a small step back like he's still like great like elite level defense but like he's just not the best anymore he might not even be the best center fielder on his own team uh but still great defense 
still, you know, hovering around a league average, maybe, you know, between 90 and 100 WRC plus if he's healthy, but he's not healthy. So I'm thinking like mm-hmm. he's got no market value and I haven't been convinced by any other player in this organization yet that they can like be an everyday center fielder. And so if I'm the Rays, I mean, why not bring him back on like a three-year, $15 million deal, three-year, $20 million? I, 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 Darby, I, I can see your face. I can see you shaking your head no. But, I mean, he's not going to – like he's if he's going to be a free agent, he's has probably more so than any other Rays player like expressed his interest to stay here and, and, and be here for his entire career. Longoria did that, but then kind of sort of asked for a trade and, you know, wanted to, to move on to another organization. Kiermaier wants to stay. A hip injury for a defense first speed guy. Uh... I mean, they, they brought back Archer. It, it, it didn't work out. Um, so I'm not saying it to like yeah. justify making the move, but I'm saying. I think, I think there's no bad one-year deals. I think there's no bad one-year deals. I think he's definitely going to get bought out. I could see a return like like what the Yankees did with Brett Gardner, right? Obviously, KK is way younger than Brett Gardner and way more valuable, much much like this year than Brett Gardner was his last like four years. But I could see something similar where they buy him out and then re-sign him for something like what like a one year like now five million dollar deal. I. I think the Rays do, they'll know more about his medicals than right. any other team. I I would not be opposed to him coming back, but I don't think the Rays are going to go into anything long-term with Kiermaier. And yeah, there may not be a better center fielder on this roster, but I also don't know if Kevin Kiermaier is even as good as Kevin Kiermaier anymore after this new injury. And that's going to be the big key, right? Is, is, Kevin Kiermaier with with a step slower or two steps slower maybe isn't isn't a, a a startable player and that's and that is sad and I don't and I hate that that this might have been the end of Kevin Kiermaier with the Rays and as much as I have have kind of been a little critical so to speak towards Kevin Kiermaier in the past and been ready to kind of move on, like in terms of, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like there's so many players that get traded early and you're like, oh, I wasn't ready yet. And you accept it. With Kevin Kiermaier, you're like, okay, we can, we'll find some, like, let's, let's, let's move on to the next phase. I, it, like this year, it was like, of all the people, it's like maybe he could have stayed healthy and like we needed that. We needed like that veteran presence. And so it's a bummer that he's injured. It's a bummer that he is seemingly very badly hurt. And it's a bummer that he may be out for the rest of the year, which potentially means he played his last game. And we saw his last highlight reel catch with the Rays. So in that regard, I'd love to be able to bring him back like Archer and be like, let's get, let's get one more. Let's get one more run. The Rays will be competing next year too. So there is some value there, obviously. Um, but I think that that hip injury, that's like kind of the worst possible injury to a player of Kevin Kiermaier's skill set. And his recovery is going to be really important to see whether or not the Rays are any interest and whether or not he is going to be a guy that, that 
gets a starting job in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the question for me is, and I understand all the reasons not to, but it feels like the Rays do in the right situations with the right dollar amounts. They will try to keep, I won't say fan favorites, but guys that have, you know, done great service to the club. They will, you know, they take care of, of those type of guys. And I think they would do the same with the Kiermaier. And I just haven't been like convinced. I'm not saying you should ever kind of count on Kiermaier to be a 145 game center fielder for you. You know, it's never just, it's just never been what he's been. Um, but I just, I haven't seen that from, from any, and I know those are hard to come by. I haven't seen that from any other player. Josh Lowe. I want to talk about Josh Lowe. He's doing a lot better at the plate. Um, Brett Phillips is kind of a hilariously bad hitter. Um, and, and he had a great game today. He hit a home run today. So I don't, I don't want to be too hard on him, but like it's last year, he hit a few extra home runs, kind of bumped those numbers up. And you think, wow, Brett Phillips is, is, is pretty decent this year. I think back to what we, we should expect, or at least closer to what we should expect out of Phillips. Uh, I still think he justifies, you know, being on this roster he might be the one to have surpassed Kiermaier for best defensive center fielder in the game. Uh, like he's mm-hmm. doing incredible stuff this season um, for a guy that doesn't play out there every day. Um, Josh Lowe, Brett Phillips, you got Manuel Margot, who they signed again this year to an extension. Um, is there any guy that you think this is our center fielder or you just kind of do center fielder by committee? Maybe Vidal Brujan out there one day. And you're fine with the post Kiermaier era. Yeah, no, I think I think Margot can be your slotted center fielder, everyday center fielder. And I think you can keep Brett Phillips still. Cause I, I, I think the Rays are a team are that are not gonna like panic because they're like, this is clearly not the the first half had some of the most laughably bad hitting by some players. It's like to the point of like, there's no possible way that this person is hitting this poorly. I mean, like Taylor Walls was the worst position player in all of baseball. Like it was like, like, listen, Taylor Walls is is known for his glove. He's not going to be a, you know, a a 150 WRC plus guy, but he's also not going to be like a, like a negative. Like, it's like, it's crazy. Like you're like, he's going to be probably in like the eighties at least. Brett Phillips is not going to strike out like 35 times in a row. Maybe. Well, the thing is, I think what you could do is you could have, you have Bruhan, you have Josh Lowe who can fake it out there. You have Randy who could maybe fake it out there. Ugh, They're not, no. you, you want them in the out, you want them in the corners. You want Lowe and, and Randy in the corners. You potentially could have Bruhan be in center, but I think Margot, he's, he's locked in. And I think you're totally fine. Cause again, the thing is with Margot, he is probably like top five defensive center fielder in baseball by a lot yeah. of, a lot of metrics, especially like outs above average. Um, so I think you'd be fine with that. Even if you are like being like, okay, we may not have the very best defensive center fielder anymore, but we will have almost the very best. And if you, and, and you still could keep Brett Phillips and say, it doesn't matter about the offense. We, we kept Mike Zunino with before he he had last year's offensive explosion he was hitting like in the 40s of wrc plus but his defense behind the plate was so so valuable that center field is a position where you could be like okay this is barely the red sox re-signed jackie bradley jr and he is a complete nothing out there on the plate but still can absolutely snare some balls down in the outfield so 
I think they could be fine without Kiermaier. Um, I would not mind. His option for next year is 13 million. There's, there's just no possible way that the Rays are going to pay 13 million for a guy coming off who's going to be 33 off of that hip potential hip surgery. Right. Like that's, that's, I don't, I don't see that. And that's, I know and people are going to say it's the cheap raise, whatever, but like, do you, do you want to pay 13 million for Kevin Kiermaier? Right. That's 33. Like I, nobody, nobody's going to actually want to pay that, but I think you can roll the dice and maybe like kind of bring them back if you're feeling happy with your medicals. And so we'll see, but I, I think in, in, in house, I think they have the pieces They we've seen Josh Lowe out in center field. He's, he's not Kiermaier. He's not Margot. He's not Brett Phillips, but you have a, a player that could be the backup to give Margot a, a day of rest out there or, or Phillips. I, I could just see a Kiermaier, like maybe you, you, you kind of do it as, as an extension where you buy out the option, but immediately sign him to a three year, two year deal. I don't know. I could just like, he, he, he's, he, I think he would take the years. I don't think he's like in the state of mind where he's like, I'm going to bet on myself and go have a, a one year contract and play for uh, the Colorado Rockies and then see what happens. Like, I, I feel like if the Rays offered him any more than one year, like he would say, like, where can I sign? Um, because I do really think he loves being here. And it wouldn't shock me, like, if shortly after his Rays career ends, like, he just retires and fishes down here and hangs out in Florida. And, you know, maybe he snowbirds, goes back to Indiana. Like, he just doesn't seem like the guy that's, like, going to go out and try to bounce around and be a journeyman for the last, I don't know, four or five next four or five seasons so that's just maybe a dream i have in my head for him to play three more years here and retire already um but i do want to move i do want to move over to another uh, raise player before we go to another break um jonathan ronda having a pretty good time up in the big leagues hidden from the left side uh, gets sent back down though after brandon lau is activated uh much to the chagrin of, of several raise fans on twitter um, I would love to see him back in the big leagues, but when you got Brandon Lau and G-Man Choi and a couple other left-handers, switch hitters that can't don't really have a set position, there's just really no room for him, is there? Uh, there's room now that Harold Ramirez is hers. <laughs> yeah, but if you, where's, uh, yeah. where's Aranda going to play? With, like, what at-bats is he taking away from Ramirez? Unless you want to immediately just throw him into the outfield. And hope for the best. So, so yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is that you, that, that was the, the statement was that they were, they were going to send him down. The, he doesn't really have, he didn't have room on the roster. Uh, right. Like it was, it was down to kind of like Luke Rayleigh or Rhonda. And if you're like, we could maybe use him in the outfield. So kind of, you know, cause they, they played Harold Ramirez in the outfield. He's not very good at the outfield either. Um, and you, and the Rays like that position uh, versatility then this is an opportunity, right? Like Luke Rayleigh, you can leave on the bench for most games and, and you don't need to, to play him. But Aranda, he has something that he can actually work on so he can go down there, you know, just at least get some reps right. so he can just hide out there in the outfield a little bit and be okay. Um, I think it is tricky right now with Harold down. Who do you call back up? I mean, you could bring back Bruhan. Uh, he can play the outfield but we also don't know his injury status. I think the Rays have definitely 
suggested, and the way Cash has used Aranda has suggested that they do think his bat is for real, that his bat is really good. However, they also have suggested that they do not want him playing defense if possible. Yeah. Or that he's behind a lot of people in defense. So I think with Harold Ramirez down, I think before too long, Aranda will be back up and you might see something like Brandon Lau in the outfield. Uh, you might see, which I'm, I'm sure they're probably going to try to avoid because they don't want him on the grass, which is not great for legs or back injuries. Uh, you might see him at first base, but then where does Choi go? Cause that's also at first. It, it's tough. It's very, very tough that Aranda plays positions that Isak Paredes plays, that Yandy Diaz plays, that Jimon Choi plays, that Brandon Lau plays, because those are all guys that are really good and that are better than him right now. And so it's not very easy. But if he can play the outfield, if at least fake it a little bit, then, you know. I mean, one guy that has experience faking it is probably Christian Bethencourt. And the role he's playing right now is backup catcher. And you've already got another backup catcher in Durham if you want him to bring Renee Pinto back up. He can truly just kind of give Mejia, even though Mejia at the plate looks like a lost cause. Another guy who hit home run today. But um, <laughs> Pinto can play that true backup role. Bethancourt, you can throw him back there maybe once a week, once every 10 days to just keep him doing it. But then you can DH him. You can play him at first. You can throw him in right field and hope for the best. Kind of like that Harold Ramirez role where he's a primary DH, but can also do right field or first base in a pinch. Could you see Bethancourt kind of taking over that role for the next couple months? Yeah, I, I could see that. I don't know. I don't know about the couple, next couple months, but I think that's something that you could, I think you could see. I think, I, I do think with a Ronda, they, they do believe that he doesn't really have much to prove in the plate in minor leagues. But I think until they're going to have to make a move and it's going to be a longer wait now that, that we have the break, but they're going to have to make a move for Harold Ramirez's injury. And I, I do yeah. think you make, it makes a lot of sense to bring back Pinto um, or Brujan just because they've had their options used. You can bring them back up and kind of fit the mode rather than, and then give Aranda some actual time to like work on, you know, playing the outfield. Uh, I think Aranda like, Again, the Rays have – it's pretty clear they have their thoughts about his defense because they love his bat. It's pretty clear why they love his bat because the guy can hit. And he came up, he's come up to the big leagues and started hitting right away. Uh, so Jonathan Aranda, I think if you're one of those that's just really upset about his opportunities this year, be upset that they continue to play like a Vidal Brujan over him at second base. Where it's like, yes, Brujan is a good defensive second baseman, but he wasn't up there like the, the bat that just wasn't working. The defense was what it was at second base. Wanted to have Arana there, especially in a time when the race had like one of the worst lineups in all of baseball. Uh, I understand yeah. that frustration, but don't be upset that he's like it gets booted when when Brandon Lau comes back, because with Brandon Lau on this team, there's just no room for a yeah. Jonathan Aranda. Well, and I think right now, if you're looking at the team, I think I think people were sort of saying like, you know, why why is Taylor Walls here? Why are you Chang here? But it's like they they play shortstop. Yeah, <laughs> they can play exactly. shortstop. You know, like you you don't have anybody else that can play shortstop, and you also need at least somebody that can like take a break 
to and give a break to to the other person that's playing shortstop. Why is Lee Grayley here? Well, he can play outfield. You know. Yeah, and I so and I barely. I mean, trust I don't Luke know if he to play I, shortstop. I don't, I don't know if I he can Luke Rayleigh can play shit like outfield, but he I don't think Luke Rayleigh can play there. much of anything. <laughs> He's well, a left handed back. If if Aron, basically that's the bar. Can Aranda be better than Luke Rayleigh in the outfield? He's going to be up here because then they can use him more. Uh, before Harold Ramirez went down, though, if you looked at the lineup, it's like who are you replacing him with? Right, you have nobody else to replace Walls. Who, who can play shortstop. And he's on a nice little hitting streak to, to end the first half. Um, you, you can't replace, uh, you know, Lau. You can't really, like Yandi and, and Paredes are basically in on third base every day. And Choi is, is who you are basically going to play against all righties. So are you going to bring him up to play against lefties, which isn't really doing a Ronda any good? It, it, it's one of those tough situations where you're like, okay, he's our best hitting prospect right now. However, who does he play? It's it's a roster situation. It's a roster game, and you just don't have the, the space. Talking about that right-handed bat, assuming there was no big trade made to acquire, I don't know, whoever the big right-handed bat is on the market this year, Chad and assuming Ramirez is still out on September 1st, is there a chance we see Curtis Mead get called up and, and play in the big leagues this season? A chance? Like I'm thinking, September call-ups, sure. maybe even just a couple of weeks. Yeah, sure. If he's progressing more at Triple A, because like they've put him at every level now, and he just hasn't stopped hitting. Like the guy is, uh, he I I think he's the real deal when it comes to prospects. I I mean I do like I think I think Curtis Mead is really an interesting prospect. He can hit a lot. He can play a few different positions. None of them very well. And I do think he's somebody that you could call up, but I I don't think it would be before September. I don't think it would be before September at all. I think it's somebody no, that, no. and I, and I think the Rays would probably look to add a another Harold Ramirez type, right? By at the deadline, you know, you have a couple of weeks in in two weeks they'll know more about the the extent of the injury to Ramirez. And yeah. I think then they can like determine whether or not uh, it's like a go get a bat type of thing, uh, play a guy in the meantime type of thing. Like what's the situation? And so I could, I could see, yeah, I, I don't think Curtis Mead is going to be the guy that gets called up anytime soon, but maybe in September if there's room, if there's still a big need. We shall see. We shall see. So we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're just going to kind of raise our voices and talk about how the first half has went and what we're expecting out of the second half. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. And, uh, you know, we're at the All-Star break now, so no better time to kind of just take stock of where the Rays are at and what's going on with the team. They currently sit at 51 and 41, 13 games back in the American League East, but they hold the number one wild card spot. Fangraphs gives them a you know usually low 70.4% chance of making the postseason. Um so Darby, yeah, just kind of our thoughts on 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 the first half. I'll I'll kind of go first here. I'm very happy with where the Rays are. Obviously, considering the circumstances surrounding injury, uh, you're 10 games over 500. You've got a player that's going to be in an award race. There's not the pressure of, you know, being in a division race, like that's pretty much done and dusted. And 
but you're comfortably in a playoff spot. Now you still like if you fall apart, like you could easily fall out of the playoffs. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But being in that first wild card spot, which is a three game guarantee in the postseason, not a one game guarantee. I think it's a pretty good time to be a race fan right now. Now, I think the bigger bummer is all of these young stars that the team was kind of being built around, specifically Wander Franco and Shane Boz. We've seen very little from them, and this was kind of supposed to be their their big breakout seasons. They both debuted last year, um, but we're really going to kind of take center stage this year, many thought. Um, so that's been disappointing, but you know, other players have stepped up. The Harold Ramirez, who I know was also hurt, the the Isak Paredes of the world, you know, people were freaking out about that trade when it happened. Um, these other guys have stepped up. You've even seen in recent games Christian Bethencourt, Yu Chang, uh, and guys like Brett Phillips and Francisco Mejia who have been struggling, stepped up offensively, um, which is kind of like what the Rays have always done, this next man up mentality. Usually it happens after someone walks in free agency or is traded. You see who that next person up to replace them is. Uh, but we're seeing it with injuries right now. Um, and it is what it is. And some, you know, guys, the name of the game is, is to be healthy in October. So at 10 games over 500, I'm pretty happy. There are things that I think maybe the front office had a misstep in, 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 uh, the off season. I think trading Joey Wendell was still a mistake. Taylor walls, Vidal Brujan. I'm glad they're going through their growing pains, but like, it would be really nice to have a Joey Wendell like player that can kind of fill that void and provide some consistency when a Brandon Lau and a Wander Franco go down at the same time, he would be in, I think, that veteran group with with Yandy Diaz and Gman Troy, who are now like the veteran presences in the Rays locker room, and they're playing like it too. They've been the two the Rays' two best position players this season. I think Joey Wendell would have been in that same group, guys that have you know been there, done that with this Rays team. Uh, but overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm happy as well. And this has been a very grueling first half of the season. There's yeah. so many injuries. There's so many gut punch injuries that you're like, well, this is it. I feel like Danny has, has tweeted, uh, pack it up about like 17 times in the season. Like <laughs> right. we've had, we've had the, like, this is the end. We're done. It's over. See you next year. I think we've had that discussion like five times already. It's, it's nuts. And the fact that through all of that, that the Rays, I don't think, played their best baseball in the first half at all. They they have played competitive baseball, but they've lost a ton of close games. They've they've just they've just not been. They played some of the worst defense they've ever played we've ever seen from from Tampa Bay Rays baseball. They've made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes in, in the field, which is just not Rays baseball. They've made a ton of outs on the bases. A ton of just, and some of them are the the typical raise aggressive, like trying to push the envelope, and then a bunch are just like, "What's happening?" And you're just these waiting. are like historic anomalies that like some of these 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 outs on the bases numbers, like stuff that even the worst base running teams in all of history could never even think of. They're they're nuts, right? So you have an exorbitant amount of injuries. You have huge key. You, the Rays had missed two, their two best position players for like a month and a half. They missed their top three bullpen pitchers pretty much since the start of May on. They and and for some like Pete Fairbanks just came back today. He missed the entire season until today. They are still missing Tyler Glass now. Shane Boz was injured for most of the season and then just came back and then I was injured. And through all that. With all of that being said, with 
all of the prospects basically playing the worst they could <laughs> ever play. Like they've never played this bad since like their freshman year of high school. And even then probably not that bad. All of that being said, the Rays are 51 and 41, 10 games above 500, about, I, I tweeted this out the other day. They were running, they're running about three games behind last year's pace at the same time, which was a hundred win team. So just about three games off of that. They're in the number one wildcard spot. Like you said, they're a game and a half up on that. They ended this, the first half six and one with two big series wins. They even ended they, before that they had a really successful road trip before they got swept by the reds. This is a team that somehow some way with all of that mountain of absolute shit. I'll enjoy the bleep there, uh, Brett, <laughs> yes. giving you work. Uh, they're still 10 games up. They're in the postseason. And their best baseball is probably ahead of them. That is impressive. And that is something to be proud of. And this is not to say, that's all the negative, right? That they still have here. What we have seen, though, is that you have prospects like Isak Paredes really showcase and flash not just potential, but like real superstar potential. Right. If a guy with his batted eye skills, that zone control skills can start elevating and lifting fly balls to the pull side. Yeah. That's, that's what took Jose Batista from a solid middling journeyman player to a all-star home run hitter we are seeing a historically great pitching performance from Shane McClanahan he is the front runner the AL front runner for the Cy Young he is pitching right now in this first half better than any raised pitcher in their history by every metric and just think of the names. Just think of the names that come to mind. There's there's Cy Young winners, David Price and Blake Snell. There's Tyler Glass now. There's Charlie Morton had an amazing year with the Rays a few years back. It was six-win season. You had Chris Archer. You had James Shields. And Shane McClanahan this year, so far, has outpitched everybody in the history of this team through the first half of the season. And he's yeah. outpitched everybody in the American league. He's outpitched pretty much everybody besides maybe Sandy Alcantara. And those two have a real close race to see who is, who's better. I mean, like some of these are like in recent memory, it's not even this season. Like he's doing things that haven't been done sometimes ever. Like the rate in which he is striking out batters is, is is never really. He was recently did something that basically the last time. And the only time it happened before was 98 Pedro. Which right. is one of the greatest, which is one of the greatest pitching seasons that has ever occurred in the sport. And Shane McClanahan's doing it from the left side at 98 to 100. Like, there's really only one guy that's ever done that before over like multiple full seasons, and his name is Randy Johnson. Like the 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 the, the people that Shane McClanahan has put himself in, the company so far this season are not. Like, oh, those are some really good pitchers. These are like guys that have busts in Cooperstown. Good. Right. So this is something to worth, like that is, you'd have to tune in every week 
for a Shane McClanahan start. And everybody around the league should be tuning in because that is some of the greatest performances every single time. Uh, well, and I kind of want to raise my voice for him to be named the American League All-Star starter because, again, in Topkins' raise rumblings, reported that there was growing chatter about Shohei Otani starting the game for a second straight year. And while I I, I love Shohei Otani just as much as the next guy, uh, all right, I've seen that. You know, I know it's in L.A., which is where he plays his home games. Or I guess he plays in Anaheim, uh, which is probably like an hour and a half away with traffic. Um, <laughs> but I like if you if this is about showcasing your stars. You look at Shane McClanahan, and I know it's the Rays, and they're, they're not in a small media market. I don't know why people keep saying that. They're the 11th largest media market in the country, uh, but a team that definitely lacks in attention from national media, unless it's a hit piece. Uh, Shane McClanahan is a guy who made his debut in 2020 in the World Series. He led a team, led a team's pitching staff, whose team went on to win 100 games in 2021, win the division for the second straight year. And this year, he is the statistically best pitcher in the entire game. Isn't that the type of star you'd want to market at your all-star game in Los Angeles for a team that maybe doesn't get that national attention? Again, I know Major League Baseball isn't pulling all the strings here. Like, it is Dusty Baker's choice, and I don't think Dusty Baker cares about that stuff. Like, I'm sure he'd love to start Justin Verlander or Shohei Otani, and it's an exhibition, and it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it does matter. To get named American League All-Star starter is a huge deal, something that only one other Rays pitcher has ever done, uh, and, it, and it should be Shane McClanahan this year. Shoot, he should be number two. I agree. I agree. Once, once Justin Verlander dropped out of the All-Star game, I don't think there's any reason fully to to make that Shohei over Shane well there Especially is a because no there are reasons like Shohei Otani is the face of baseball he is but the problem is do you, so there's a good reason to do that the pro, the biggest issue is and baseball runs into this is that he's not doing better at pitching than he was last year right so he should be in the game he should pitch he should hit all that stuff obviously we all who doesn't want to watch Shohei Otani play baseball he's the best he's the only reason besides michael trout to watch the angels attempt to play the sport of baseball the problem is the angels are a west coast team they are a really bad team they're a really dysfunctional mess of a team they fired their manager this none of this is shohei otani's fault none of it is shohei otani's fault but the game like you said is very east coast centric Shane McClanahan pitches at times when the vast majority of baseball watching people watch baseball. Shohei Otani plays baseball after everybody's gone to bed. Yeah. Now that's, and this is saying somebody that's on the West coast right now and gets annoyed by the West coast uh, kind of being below the East coast and the bias ratings, but that is just the facts. And I think we saw Shohei start. It doesn't make you go, I got to tune in again. Now, and listen, he's the face of MLB The Show. He's an amazing player. He's going to be in the game. It's an opportunity to potentially showcase something new. And, and I guess I'm playing, you know, I'm arguing the other side of, of what I just raised my voice on. But did Cal Ripken start in 99 or did he come off the bench? That all-star game? I mean, I, I was born. Uh, his late, his retirement later. game? 
yes. his retirement game. He did start. He started at short. He started at third, and then a rod pushed him over to right. short. Yeah. A rod let him go over. So, like, there is reasons for for Shohei to start the All Star game, and I completely get it if that's what happens. I get it. I get it. But if you are trying to showcase. Shohei is not in the top of the Cy Young voting right now. He has about 30 less innings pitched. And as much as it matters to all these awards and like lauds, his team is not even remotely close to the postseason. Right. Now there's also the factor of Dusty Baker. It's a division rival. So do you give kudos to a division rival? Do you not give kudos to a division rival? Yeah, I don't know. I don't that's, know. A, that's an interesting part of it. Justin Verlander, honestly, like I, I wouldn't even have fought if Justin, you know, if it was Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw starting the All Star game back and forth, I like. And I'm it's not like comeback player of the year, that. like Verlander yeah. coming back at this age, and, and he's legend, the manager, right? Like it, Dusty Baker has to do that. Like you can't right. be like, sorry, sorry, Justin. I'd love if I would trade you in a heartbeat if I can get that Shane kid. Jeez. I, you're 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 an old man. You're almost done. I'd love to get that guy. No, I I would get that. And I, and I think Clayton Kershaw. Like I get the idea that you know Sandy Alcantara has been the best pitcher in the National League, but it's Kershaw. I I'm totally fine with him starting as well. It's the similar situation. It's the it's a very weird reverse thing going on in the American League because you have Brant Snicker, you have the Atlanta Braves. Do you pick the guy that's in your rival in your division and the Braves and the Marlins have had some very heated rivalry bits. Or do you go with Clayton Kershaw, who you are constantly fighting in the postseason? Like, it's an interesting battle, right? Like, of it's, it's like pretty much the same type of choice. Do you go with the LA guy, or in this case, Southern California guy, versus the Florida pitcher, who's probably better right now? Yeah. Yeah. Overall, though, overall, though, Shane McClanahan will pitch in the All-Star game. He'll get to appear. He gets this moment. And that's what matters. I hope it's as a starter. But overall, this weekend, this is what I'm raising my voice on. The All-Star weekend is filled with hot takes from people just trying desperately to get attention to say, this is why, this is what baseball needs to do to, 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 to reach the youth, to get better at it. And I, I'm here to employ you. I just implore. Nothing will help get the game to youth and get more people excited about baseball during an all-star weekend. That's not how it's going to happen. Now, the home run derby is great. I think you can market that well. The MLB futures game is not going to get people excited. Nobody, no kid is coming home being like, ooh, the MLB futures game. I'm going to. Wow, did this you is see a- Curtis Mead go over to today? Oh, I saw this guy that's a, in the double A of the of the Anaheim Angels, and uh, oh, I can't wait to watch him. Maybe in like three to four years or so. Um, Depending how long they manipulate his service time. Like, I people were hot taking that that was on Peacock and it was inaccessible and it was behind it. I I just I couldn't care less, honestly. I really couldn't care less about. But that. But also for these young people that apparently were trying to reach, Peacock is way more accessible than Direct TV. Like I moved, like I moved into my first apartment. I have Comcast internet because it's the only thing around, which means I get free Peacock. Like it's, it's very much more accessible to me, a kid straight out of college, than it is the, to like 
the futures game has always been basically on like ESPN two on like a replay at like 3 PM on like a random day. Like it's always been. MLB Network will show the the futures game from like two years ago in December when there's nothing else to put on. Yeah. Oh, look at all these guys that are now in the big leagues that I can watch play big league games. And I appreciate that MLB tried to do something new with the draft it's like a nice live event. It's during the All-Star Weekend. It's part of that festivities. They're trying to make the All-Star Weekend a little bit more special. I like it. The problem is the MLB draft is probably the least interesting draft of all major drafts. And, and it's kind of right up there with like NHL because nobody watches those college sports, really. College baseball is great. College hockey is also really fun. People should watch them, but nobody will. They, they are not watched. So most of the players, nobody knows about. And when they get drafted, they're potentially on, on you know, positions that their team already has a superstar of, but that's because they're going to come up in five years and they're going to have switched positions. And, or, or the player that starts above them will hit arbitration and have been traded away so they don't have to pay. <laughs> it, it's just, it's such a nebulous future. It's so far in the future. We have no idea if we even have a planet by the time these players will actually be here. So it's so hard to actually the Rays like, will care. be at the big 10 by then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So who knows? That's not going to be the thing that like sparks people to get interested in the game. So I think what baseball needs to do instead of trying to be like, we're going to win people over through the all-star game. They just need to have a fun weekend that allow that, that is, that is fun for people that are fans of the sport that emphasizes that home run derby that lets the actual game just be a, a fun time that players have. That's not too serious. It's not mattering for things. It's, it's just a fun little break. You can't be the NBA. You can't be the NFL. Those, those are different leagues with different rules. And the, the all-star game for experience, the pro bowl for the NFL is, is far worse than yours. Nobody cares about that. Nobody watches that. The NBA is the pinnacle. Everybody watches that and you're never going to compete with it. It's too popular. So just be you. The home run derby is great. You're going to have a lot of highlights. That is the thing that, that people want to see. That's the thing that kids want to see. Don't worry about the futures game, the draft. It's fine that you just kind of dumped it on this day on a Sunday. If people are really hardcore and they really want to see Kylie McDaniel on ESPN, did a great job. It's great. It's for the hardcores. It's not for everybody. And the home run derby owns a day on the calendar. I mean, yes. there might be like WNBA's in season, and um, there's some, you know, soccer, uh, but usually mm-hmm. not on a Monday. MLS plays on like Wednesdays and Saturdays. So there's really, in terms of sports, on ESPN, like if you're going to go flip to like FS1, ESPN, what's on Fox, like you're going to flip through the channels. ESPN is going to be the only one carrying a major sporting event. It is the home run derby. So it owns like the entire news cycle, the sports news cycle, and that primetime slot. Like that is and the same kind of goes for the all-star game. Unless you're watching the Thunder and the Bucks play a summer league game, which doesn't even have like, I mean, it has like the top draft picks, but you're going to watch the home run derby or the all-star game. Like if you're a sports fan. Like general sports fan sits down on his couch to watch TV. The home run derby's on. It's exciting. There's nothing else to watch. It is by far the best single event 
and and they've, they've actually made it the best yet. So I think people need to focus less on like how to fix baseball during the all-star game, because there's a lot of things that can fix baseball and make baseball better. None of them are happening during the all-star game. The home run derby is finally interesting. The last few years has it's been past the slam spectacular. Dunk it is past, it is far past the slam dunk contest. I want to say that right now. That's the other thing I want to raise my voice about. I love the NBA all-star week. I, I love the skills competition. And actually the game now has become really cool with making it be ending. basically. Yeah, exactly. Making it go to a certain level level points. That's, that's fantastic. It's actually made that so much more interesting, but the slam dunk contest hasn't been interesting in years. It's getting really, really tough. And it's the, the things that these players can do is spectacular, but the way it's all set up, it's just, and they've almost done but... they've almost done everything that a human can do with a basketball and dunking it. <laughs> there is a limit that we've reached. It's unfair oh, for yeah, any just... new dunk contest competitor. It's like, well, I have to try to do something so crazy that I look like an idiot. Exactly. And but the home run derby has suddenly, the last couple of years, become the premier all-star skill event. It is a event that just works. There's nothing you need to change about it. They figured out some rules to make it a little bit better. There's a nice little challenge. There's even some good elements for betters in Vegas and states that allow sports betting to, to put some action on. It's just a fantastic, fun, great event that is kind of the distillation of what like is exciting about baseball. And that works. Everything else has some issues, but right here, right then and there, Monday night, that is great that is what people are going to tune into and that's what's going to get them excited the the betting aspect of it also i think it's like an event that is consumable on like any platform i can stream it i can watch on on like you know on espn on cable i can put it on the tv but it's also like and i'm trying to think like you know i've got a tiny attention span and i scroll through tiktok like i do every day like if it came on on tiktok it's so fast-paced and you see so much like the slam dunk contest, they'll dunk and they'll set up like the next dunk. It takes like two minutes. And then, you know, there's, there's not as much action. The home run derby, I know they take breaks, but it's just like nonstop action. And so like if I'm a teenager scrolling through TikTok and I come onto a free live stream on MLB's TikTok account of the home run derby, like that's my, that might be something I, I stay and watch for, I don't know, 45 seconds, which is an eternity on TikTok. <laughs> that's about seven years by but it's enough like, to see Juan Soto hit 17 home runs and you're like holy crap I'd pay him 440 million over yeah. much is less Juan years Soto in the home run derby he is okay good I'm, yeah yeah he is he definitely is now now you have me doubting myself no he is he is but he'll be uh, a, but uh, that's the other thing too that is that has happened is we finally have unlike the dunk contest in the NBA Unlike the Pro Bowl, the Home Run Derby is something that a lot of players tend to actually want to do. You're going to have young stars like Julio Rodriguez in there. You're going to have old guys that uh, that your grandpa is going to say was great back in the day, or I'm going to say was. And great they're all going to be bringing each other young. Gatorades and high fiving, and there's kids. It is perfect. It is perfect. There's so many things that baseball doesn't do well. The Home Run Derby is perfect. I love it, and I cannot wait for Monday. It's like it's it's like uh, it's like better than like the feeling of like opening day. 
I don't know. I can't say that. But not opening day. But like, oh, I, I, you, you've gone too far. You've gone uh, too far. Opening day, and like the mad. postseason. Opening day, like, and, and like game one of the postseason or game one of the World Series, whatever it is. Like, those are great feelings. Then opening day, and then like the like in terms of days in the baseball calendar. Like, yeah, watching the home run derby is, is probably probably third. It's probably right there. It's pretty fun. It's, I'll say it's top five for sure, and I, I don't know where it ranks, but it's definitely below opening day and the start of the playoffs. Uh, do you have a prediction for the second half? doesn't have to be like record or playoff spot, but any Rays prediction? Uh, <laughs> I, I think the Rays, I'm actually very excited about the second half because we're at the very end of the season, at the very end of the second half, we've seen Taylor Walls going a little hitting streak. Josh Lowe is up to over 115 WRC plus. I think he's actually up to 120 WRC plus since July 1st. Paredes is looking good. Even Yu Chang has been looking good as a nice bench bat. Have been so consistent. Yandi is 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 a god, an absolute perfect human being. Uh, Randy's getting toasty. Brandon Lau came back and hit everything basically. The Rays are in a spot. The Rays are in a spot where we've survived. The team has survived through the absolute worst like case scenario in so many ways. Like the worst case scenario is Wander Franco goes down. Okay. He did twice. Uh, you lose Brandon Lau. You can't really lose a big power battle like that. Okay. He went down. You, you've lost huge amounts of your bullpen. You've lost uh, starting pitchers. You've lost a lot. So going into the second half, you know, injuries could still keep happening and there could be another, eventually they could add up and just break the, the race back. But the thing is they've made it through that. They've made it through Josh Lowe and Bruhan and Walls all just absolutely bottoming out. And you knew they weren't true talent, like 172 hitters. You knew that they could do better than this. And now suddenly they're kind of doing a little bit better than this. Josh Lowe's actually laced in some pretty good line drives a lot of them are finding gloves still even but now a yeah. lot of them are finding grass and so it's and like it looks if more in comfortable the second in the half he's looking a little bit more comfortable if he if in the second half you have josh Lowe as a solid 90 to 100 wrc plus bat and taylor walls suddenly isn't giving you some weird completely out of nowhere error and you're and you're seeing like steady progression the team is already at 10 wins above uh, above 500 with almost no contributions from those players. Now you're seeing them start to actually contribute. And that's the thing with all these young guys is you're going to get some growing pains. And if they start to actually get comfortable, suddenly things are looking well. And the biggest thing I'm excited about is that one of the, the big ways the Rays can improve is – to bolster that bullpen. And there is no team in all of baseball that I trust more at identifying ways to improve that bullpen than the Rays. So come trade season, you're going to trade for a guy that you're like, who was that? And then suddenly he's going to have the greatest second half you've ever seen from a reliever. This is when they are like absolutely targeting bullpen people. I trust them to be able to figure out who, who can slot in and who is just going to be another number. I, I think there is some interesting potential opportunity for the Rays to do something like the Braves did last year, which is a team that is good, that got really hurt, that lost a superstar, 
but figured, hey, let's maybe not push all the chips right now for this year, but let's maybe make a trade to add some, some higher upside veteran bats. And maybe there's an opportunity for the Rays to do that and give that, you know, just a little bit of boost that they need for that second half. So I'm excited to see how the Rays make those marginal improvements. But I think most of those improvements are here and they just, they just need to play. And I, I'm excited to hopefully see that progression. Me too. And um, yeah, I don't have any bold predictions, but this team makes the postseason. Who knows? Maybe even there's a, a week or two late August where you think, is the division in play? And it probably won't be. It looks like the Yankees will wrap it up. But could see a run where the Rays make it somewhat interesting. Um, health, health is the name of the game. Not only you know, keeping the guys on the roster healthy, but getting the guys that are already hurt uh, back to to full health. And I'm watching on, on the, I've still got ESPN on two Darby and this like first half montage that they're running right now. I, I don't even have audio. I can't hear what the, you know, what the sound is, but it's been, it's been a really fun season around baseball this year. And I think it's going to be a really fun second half. Hopefully we're watching Shane McClanahan chase down the franchise's uh, third ever American League Cy Young Award. And one last thing I will say for the second half, that's not just Rays related. It, it kind of is, is related in a way. The third wild card, I kind of like it. I kind of like no, where I we're at. I, I, I was with a lot of people. I did not want to see more, you know, dilution of the postseason, but like the Mariners are in it. The Blue Jays are in it. The Red Sox are now out of the postseason right now the white Sox Even, are outside yeah baltimore is within striking distance cleveland is within striking distance which is the goal they just Texas wanted people to have striking be, distance right people they the major league baseball and i understandably so wanted teams to be in it because in baseball unlike basketball where you're right there on the bubble for the playoffs most of the time you have unless you're like the lakers or the nets who had like a rough year you have no shot at winning an NBA title in baseball. That 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 last wild card spot, you almost have just as good a chance as anybody. Uh, so being in the mix, like that's going to make this either this trade deadline uh, very intense or very boring because everybody's a contender. And the people that aren't contenders are rebuilding and aren't getting rid of their young talent. Yeah, I think I'm excited to see what the the mix does at the trade deadline, but I am excited to see that there's more teams that might decide to buy and, and might decide to at least give their fans some meaningful baseball in late August and September. What team does was once does Juan Soto play for August 3rd? He, he plays for the, the Nats because I can't imagine I cannot imagine a price tag that any team can possibly trade that the Nats would accept that they won't just accept they, that they won't just maybe offer in the off season or next second. Uh, for some this is an off season trade. There's no way like this. I it would it would floor me. But if it's anybody, obviously, <laughs> it just feels the like everybody happening like. So or like we're still a couple of weeks out from the from the deadline. That teams are already start. You you already hear the Yankees and the Mets and the Giants and they're interested. Of course, everybody's interested, but it feels like some sort of like nuclear arms race of 
who can race to put together the best Soto package, but nobody can get over the edge. You know, you get that mutually assured destruction. Like nobody's going to actually go in and give the Nationals half their farm system until someone does right at the last second. And like this massive deal happens. I mean, think about like those deals that like the biggest blockbusters usually come like at the 11th hour, like pencils down, yeah. boom, across the line, this big trade. Like the Zach Grinky trade. Obviously, this is way different. Um, but like the Zach Grinky trade, in, when you know, when the Astros went all in and got Zach Grinky, like that happened at the very last second. It feels like something like that could happen with Soto if the Yankees and the Mets and the, the Dodgers and whoever else, the Padres, are really willing to play ball. It's It's one of those things where I do think as a trade chip, it's one of those moves where I, I don't, first of all, everybody that's on Twitter, whatever your trade offer, it's not enough. It's far too light. Right. What it is. It's far too light. More. You have to, you're going to have to be sick to your stomach, like violently ill feeling in the price tag to get, give up for Juan Soto, because this is two and a half years of a 23-year-old top five major league baseball player. Top 10, if you're like, all right, well, is a little, the power is maybe not there. Okay, fine, top 10, fine. He's the top 10 position player in all of baseball. This is also the type of move that I feel like any GM kind of, you know, it's, it's mortgaging the whole future to do it, but it's not really because you, you're guaranteed, it's a, it's a win. Like, you know, you're going to be happy because you get Juan Soto. So it's not like it's like, oh, you know, we're like worried about trading for like a 40-year-old Nelson Cruz or you're like a rental of like a, a ace pitcher. Like this is two and a half years. You are a contender with Juan Soto for two and a half years. This year, next year, the year after that, if you want to keep him or flip him. There's like one GM I see doing that. And it's AJ Preller. If you're AJ Preller, you how many for, futures can you possibly mortgage? Just keep future. Just keep doing it. You're you're at the point where you need to you need to get a win. Like Friedman doesn't need to make that move. He already kind of did with with Mookie with Betts. And, and then for sorry, and, and then for then Friedman, yeah. And then with Trey Turner, <laughs> right? And Max Scherzer for half a year. Um, <laughs> but Preller, this is we are getting to a point where with AJ Preller, like. I, I mean, listen, the, I feel like the, the the Padres ownership is pretty comfortable where they're at. The Padres are a great team. And maybe they're just happy that, the, you know, the Padres are like one of the more exciting teams in baseball. But there is a certain point where it's like, how how much can you not win Well, with AJ I mean, Preller or not finish first in those trades? You had, you've had, I think this is, I don't know, if they, if they go after it, you've got a, a, a star player, future Hall of Famer that's on your team. He's very young still in his prime. You're going to win. You've changed coaches. You're a GM that has tried a bunch of weird things. And you're, the, the, the farm system that you brought up, the guys that are, it's just not fully working out. There's some glimpses of hope. You get, you know, you ditch the future that you built and you bring in the best, one of the best players out there. Kind of feels similar to what Jason Light did. Moving on from Jameis Winston, the guy he drafted number one overall, to bring in Tom Brady to go with his great offensive weapons, this team that was ready to go on a Super Bowl run to win a Super Bowl. 
I mean, the Padres could be a Juan Soto away. And, and if you get that World Series, it doesn't matter if in five years it doesn't matter you have an empty parking lot because you you have the World Series. Right, and you got Juan Soto. And, but it's probably not like that in five years because you've got Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis. Like, if you extend yeah. Soto, obviously. Like, <laughs> they have Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto to long-term extensions and replacement level the rest of the way. Right, they but there are, there are, like, there are a few players that break that threshold of, like, they are, they are, they are priceless. And, and, and I will say that's the thing with the Juan Soto trade is just, I, I don't think you can make a, a bad Juan Soto trade. Yeah. I think yeah. you're getting Juan Soto. I mean, like Trout, and, like maybe Trout now has a, has a price. I, I don't think he does even yet, but like three, four years ago, Mike Trout, like there's just no, nothing even possible. Like Shohei Otani, a, a priceless player right now. Um, for, for the Rays. If you were to trade, and I'm not going to do this deal, but just so people know that are listening, the ask would be probably, they're going to be like, it's not Wander Franco, but it's going to be Shane McClanahan plus, plus yeah. Curtis Mead, maybe Bruhan if they if they want him. And they're going to also ask for Taj Bradley. They may not get all that, <laughs> but they're going to ask, it's going to start with, with McClanahan, Mead, maybe Bruhan. Josh Lowe, yeah. and then Bruhan. And, and that... That ask is not ticket. insulting. That ask is not insulting. You even stay on the line and you go, all right, well, <laughs> can't do that. No, thanks. But, <laughs> but uh, we do have some other options. Uh, but that's Reed, that I'm, that level of price tag is not an insulting offer. And so whatever trade you're offering that involves Mead, Bruhan, an injured Seth Johnson, Miles Masterboni, it like, Let's not be. Let's not be silly. Don't try to add up. Like, don't. Well, don't listen to baseball trade values on this one. Baseball trade values also will like shame you on Twitter if you're like, here's thirty players that eventually add up yeah. to like the two hundred value because they're like, no, that's not how you're using. You're using the site incorrectly. I. That's why I like. There's. I. I think there could be a situation where there's multiple bidders and there's enough traction where the nuclear bomb goes off and it's like someone someone pulls off a Juan Soto trade. Or you know, there will be great fishing stories about the rumors that happened on August 1st and 2nd about the deal that almost happened. We were going to send Aaron Judge to the Nationals to get Juan Soto. <laughs> like, and who else? Yeah, Aaron Judge plus Jason. Plus, 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 plus. Plus Miguel plus. Duhar plus Clint Frazier. <laughs> they get, yeah, they got to get Frazier and, and Duhar it's a three te- it's, a, it's a three-team trade <laughs> where... Frazier the Cubs? Goes, is Frazier uh, in the Cubs still? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who cares? Give uh, a big voice yeah. from the Padres. I, 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 I'm kind of, I'm sickly curious. That's what makes this trade deadline super exciting is that I think the Rays just need like a, like a Jordan Luplo and like a, and like a, like a interesting bullpen piece, like type of move. And I think they'll be ready and fine. But then I also want to watch the, the potential car crash and like madness of what could happen if a Soto trade does happen. Yeah. I'm, but I, I'm, I, 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 think I still happens. think it's off season. I think it's off season. You I, I, say, you say this happens. season, I think off season. I, I think the, the seeds are there for a trade. Nobody does it. And then in the off season, the Nats finally pull the trigger after okay. getting liquored up at the winter meetings. Yeah. The, the Nationals might say like, wow, that bidding war was fun in August. Why don't we 
table this and see who else wants to come to the table. What if the Rangers decide, like, right. hey, we've already spent on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon? <laughs> we need to do something. We need, we better you, who win. do you want? Take everybody. <laughs> Again, like the GMs that are like, they have nothing to lose other than their jobs. Yeah. The, the people that are basically on the line, it's, it's, two, it's two types of teams. It's the teams that have GMs that are that have that have no chance of ever being fired. You're like you know Andrew Friedman or or uh, Alex Anthopoulos. You know they're like I'm golden. I can do any trade. Nobody will hate me. Possible. I already won my won the World Series recently, so I'm I'm good for a decade. And the and the and the GMs like Preller who are like I have a couple years left before this heat gets awfully hot. Yeah, I'm like one or two years away from people rumbling about hmm, maybe there's a change in more. So I think those are the two types of GMs. I think you got all the rebuilding teams. I've no, they're just going to not want any part of it. I think the Yankees would love to be a part of it. And Brian Cashman kind of falls in the second category where his seat's not really warm, but at the, some point, yeah, at some point, the New York media is going to be a lot louder than the San Diego media. Well, that could be as early as this winter if they are, if they don't win the world series, because this is like one of their best teams ever. And it's like, it's unfair to them. It's unfair to them that like, it's kind of world series or bust, but it is when you haven't won it. Like you haven't, like you've been there a bunch of times, haven't even been to a world series in over 10 years. You you do kind of got it. Like with the way you operate, you do kind of got to win one. And it's like, if it doesn't happen this year, cash in, not hot seat, but like, maybe it does hot. Maybe it is a hot seat. I don't know. Anything in New York media, well, the hot seat will be there. But like, I think that happens anywhere. Like, like the way the, the way the Yankees operate, which I know ties into like the New York mystique, like Cashman has, he's got to win one. Like it's been, it's been 13 years. You know who I would love you. you so you say AJ Preller. Here's my pick. If, if Juan Soto gets moved this deadline, you know, who's does it? AJ Preller is like known for being crazy, but I feel like we've all forgotten the true madman at the trade wheel. No. And that's Jerry DePoto in, no, in the Northwest, in the Seattle Mariners. And here's why you have a generational talent in Julio Franco, Julio Franco, Julio Rodriguez, Wander Franco, and Julio Rodriguez have been the guys that like, I think teams would ask for as the number one piece. Right. And the right. teams are saying, absolutely not. There's no, there's no trade that Wander Franco or Julio Rodriguez is in because they are our generational piece and Julio Rodriguez absolutely showing that, but they have a lot of other really good young talent, George Kirby, yeah. Emerson Hancock, who was in the futures game, who all you all watched on Peacock, uh, Jared Kelnick, prospect shine is a little off but once was a top five top 10 prospect rash matt Brash, logan gilbert yeah maybe there's some they have the prospect capital novella Marte. they have the prospect capital jerry depoto is a madman behind the trades they are a team that has not been to the postseason in 20 years and they would have Julio and Soto in that outfield for the next three years this year for a playoff push, what, 14 games in a row, 
in the playoff hunt right now. They would have it next year and the year after that. I guarantee you there are some calculations right now because Seattle has some of the most assets that the Nats could be interested in and are a team that has money that could sign Soto and an and a area that is itching for a postseason berth. I, I, I would be, that would be the most fun outcome at the end of the trade deadline is that somehow, some way the Seattle Mariners, except for the fact that they're currently fifth, the Rays are, are, are fourth in the, in the wild card, and, and they would be playing in the first round in the wild yeah. card, and that would not be fun. But We've been going for almost two hours, and I think we could probably go over every trade scenario for Wander Franco, because it is fun, and um, it'll be exciting, even if he hasn't moved. Because the discussions like these will happen up until August 2nd. And then they'll restart again in the winter if he isn't traded. So um, the, I thought the Rays had another pick coming up, but it doesn't look like they've made that selection. So no more uh, reactions and insight from Darby and I on, on Rays draft prospects. Um, Next will uh, be a toolsy shortstop that I, played I at a mid-major, like played <laughs> at Wright State. A college <laughs> left-handed pitcher who has good deception and funk yeah. <laughs> but a lot of velocity we'll see so uh darby uh th- thanks for coming on and enjoy your all-star break um the day after the all-star game is the absolute worst but i'll be at a cabin in the mountains so i will have other distractions i'll be in las vegas so we we planned oh, some vacations nice. at the right time yes. to not worry about what's going on yeah, I, I, I be, I'm always bombed like the day after the All-Star break. I'm like, oh, there's really just, there's, there's just no games on today. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. If you want every new episode or every new podcast episode downloaded directly to your device, make sure to follow or subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com for all of the great coverage. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.